I want to just ask you to take your Bible, turn to Ezekiel 37 tonight. Let me know this passage about the Valley of Dry Bones, Death Valley. Um, I want to speak on the subject tonight, the revival that just won't stop. The revival that just wouldn't stop, okay? And like, I want, to, I want to speak to you about something I feel prophetically the Lord has me um, to share with you tonight regarding where he wants Numa Church to go. Uh, and this passage of scripture is so powerful. Um, just turn there. I could actually read the first 14 verses. Not going to do that, but I'm going to refer to different verses and passages as we go through this. Now, you know the story. How many know the story? Right. Son of man, can these bones what? Right. And then, of course, the next thing is prophesy to the bones, right? So there's, there's an obligation as well. Okay, so historically, what we see here is obviously children of Israel, the house of Judah, had been taken captive, and here they are in Babylon, and Ezekiel is carried by the Spirit of the Lord. He's set down in the midst of a veritable valley of death full of bones. It says that the floor of this valley was literally covered with bones. What a terrible scenario that is presented to him. According to verse 11, these bones represent the whole house of Israel who had lost all hope as a result of believing they'd been cut off from the Lord as a result of violating his covenant. Now, this scenario or this scene of death and hopelessness is literally surrounding the prophet and then God asks him a question. Son of man, you've scanned the horizon. You've seen what's happening here. One question, can these bones live? What a powerful question, but I, I just was, I'm the type of person that when I read something, I'm gonna go, okay, so why? What's the purpose? I mean, why did God pose this question? Can these bones live? Obviously, God knew the answer. So it clearly wasn't for his sake. But there are at least two reasons why. And as intriguing as this is, I really believe this question requires careful consideration and a proper response from us too. Because even though we may not be in the midst of a literal valley of dry bones, we are surrounded by spiritual death. Bible says in Ephesians 2, verse 2, those who do not know the Lord are dead in trespasses and sins. There's death all around us, the spirit of death. The enemy is working overtime, right? Jesus said he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So we are surrounded by an assault of the wicked one who desires that this world would come under his rule and reign. Remember, it says in Isaiah 60, verse 2, it says, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people, right? So that's the enemy's aspiration. But as Pastor Corey mentioned earlier in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, God's will is that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. One translation says that the earth would be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. Not just like, 
you know, theoretically, oh yes, the glory of the Lord is there. But no, we're talking about an awareness of the glory of the Lord. That people everywhere, the whole earth, would become aware of the glory of the Lord. And historically, when you see revivals break out in certain places, consider what happened in Wales. There was a sense in which people just became very, very cognizant, but more in a spiritual way, to, to the sensitivity of the Spirit of God. There was a, an awareness, a recognition, a God consciousness, so to speak, that they knew that God was there, that the atmosphere had shifted spiritually, and there was a sense in which people began to think about eternal things. I remember years ago when I was first saved, going to a particular ministry and walking into that building, and there were thousands of people there, and a great man of God was preaching. And as soon as we walked in, and I had actually at that time was working with a, an organization, that Teen Challenge, if you're familiar with that, and we brought in a young man who, who needed Jesus, and many of them had never been in church before. And as we walked into that building, even just walking in through the doors, these guys who'd never been in church, who'd never experienced the presence of God before, looked at me and said, what is this? They felt the presence of God, and they didn't even know him. Guys, everywhere Jesus went, people encountered him that way. He carried that glory. Luke 6, 19 says that people would reach out and touch him and that anointing, power, would literally flow out of him into them. It wasn't just the woman who had the issue of blood. In the Gospels, it says at least twice that multitudes would reach out and touch him. Virtuous is one of the words. It's dunamis in the Greek. It would flow out of him into them and they would be healed and delivered. Just touching him. Last Thursday, we talked about Peter's shadow. Yeah. Same thing. There is a place where we walk in the fullness of his glory so that people become aware. Without us even having to say things. Come on now. Yeah. Demons are especially sensitive to that when you walk into a room or a place. I remember one time I was sitting in my car. I just finished preaching and uh, just sitting in the car park and, and this man's walking down the street and he stops and he looks at me. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. And I was just planning a trip to Africa. It was actually the first time that I had ever, I was planning my first trip to Africa and I'm sitting there in my car and he walks up to me and knocks on the window and he says, don't go to Africa. If you do, you will die. Clearly, that was not the Holy Spirit. It was a spirit, but it was not the Holy Spirit. There is a place that God wants us to go where we step into that. So I want you to understand that we need to be able to answer this question properly. Son of man, can these bones live? Okay, so the proper response 
at least in two ways. Because here's what's happening. There, God, before he pours out his spirit, before he does something powerful on the earth, he always looks for a people. He always looks for people that he can, he can you know, harness, so to speak, to be used by him. And there's so many examples in history. For example, in the Hebrides Islands, just off the northwest coast of Scotland, what happened there with the move of God's spirit and how these two sisters in their 80s prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and then one of, one of them was blind and literally that night they had a vision, one particular night they had a vision and it was like they saw churches full of people and people were worshiping God and, and they knew that they had the breakthrough and they contacted the pastor and they told them, they said, that we prayed, we've seen a cloud the size of a man's hand, God has answered our prayers, watch what's about to happen and that's when revival broke out on the Hebrides. Prayer, seeking God, a people of expectation. There's two things that, that God does in terms of uh, requiring this response from us in a way that really represents him properly, uh, rightly. Number one, he points out the problem. Right? Hello? How many know we have a problem? Right? Houston, we have a... Okay. So, here we are on planet Earth, and everything is amazing, Right? Charles Finney said many years ago, you know, Charles Finney was really the father of the Second Great Awakening in America, and this is what he said. He said, a revival presupposes a declension. In other words, if we need revival, if someone needs revived or resuscitated, then... So, a revival presupposes a declension. We have to accurately assess what's going on. Oh, that's negative. By the way, the Bible doesn't even have the word negative in it. I've searched. Whatsoever things are, what? True, first of all. Right? It doesn't stop there. If all we do is curse the darkness, then we're of no good. We're of no use to the kingdom. But there is a place where we have to look at things and we have to say, yeah, this isn't right. This is not our new normal. This is not what's acceptable to God. This is not the way it should be, and it doesn't have to stay this way. I was in Toronto, Canada, ministering a few months ago, and one of the, the churches there that's part of our network ended up, uh, we, we sat down with the leaders and the pastor and ended up saying, yeah, you know, during the pandemic, many pastors... Because, you know, Canada was shut down just like Australia. Many of the pastors actually shut down their churches and went online. And their buildings, whether it was a lease or they owned property, they got, they got out of the, the agreements and, and they sold their properties. And many of the pastors said, you know what? We know that going online is the new normal, and we don't need to go back to face-to-face, in-house meetings. We'll just stay online. Hello? How many know the Lord says that we need to gather? We need to come together. We need to worship face to face. 
It should be an exception if we're not able to do so, not the norm. Burning ones are never content with a gospel that is void of the demonstration of the spirit and power. Yet most churches rarely see miracles. Think about Jesus. He goes to Nazareth, his hometown. He's not able to do any mighty works there. Miracles, the NIV says. It's the Greek word dunamis. It literally means miracles in that context. But he was able to heal a few sick folk. Think about that. A few sick people, he heals them. So in a bad day in Jesus' ministry, in the most adverse climate of hostility and disrespect and dishonor, Jesus still heals a few sick people. And if we hear one person being healed, we're like, revival is here. That was a bad day in Jesus' place. Where there was no faith, virtually. Guys, look at the situation. Be honest, but don't stop there. The second way we respond is clearly this. God says, hey, guys, can these bones live? Yeah, yeah, this is a mess. Now, just, just think about this for a second. That question, can these bones live? Like, think about it. This is not like someone who died 20 minutes ago and they were rushed to the hospital and, you know, they're, they're dead, but we, there's some sense in which we're like, yeah, possibly if we pray, they might come back to life again. Guys, we're talking about beyond rigor mortis. We're talking about beyond stink or stench. These are bones, Dry bones, very dry. I mean, who says that? Yeah. yeah, these bones can live. Who? I mean, think about that. So God is asking this question, which in the natural is like, no way. Yeah. Most of us would say, impossible. But what does he say? He says, Lord, you know. You know. You alone know. So God has placed a demand on his faith, and calls for full cooperation. Think about it. Oh, Lord God, you know, Ezekiel had no hope in the bones, but he had hope in God. He wasn't presuming to know the Lord's will, but he did believe that God could change the situation regardless of how bleak and impossible it looked like in the natural. See, when others see death, we're called to see resurrection power in life. No matter what is happening in our world, I see resurrection power. Some of the most hostile places that I've, I've went to in the natural are where I've seen the greatest miracles. God is wanting to move. Now, let's talk a little bit about revival history for a moment. When you study revivals, one of the things that you're going to see is that by and large, they're short-lived. They may last a few years, maybe 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. But very rarely 
in history do we read about a revival that lasted for centuries? I don't know if there has ever been one. But yet the scripture talks about going from glory to glory. The scripture talks about the normal Christian lifestyle is that we walk in the anointing, the glory, and we burn with zeal and we keep going to higher levels in terms of our devotion with Christ and our fervency. I, I could get geek out on this and really you know, start parsing verbs and everything in the Greek, but let me just make it very simple, okay? Yeah. Revelation 3, 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Do you know in the original language, he says, repent. That's good. It's the aorist tense. It means you do it once, it's over with. But he says, be zealous. That's in the present continuous. In other words, repent and the rest of your life burn with zeal. Wow. Wow. That's what he was saying. The church of Laodicea, I was neither hot nor cold. The one he said I would spew out of my mouth. He said, look, guys, repent. Make a decisive uh, act of surrender and turning from those things and the rest of your life burn with white-hot passion. Come on, that's what we read in the Bible, in the book of Acts. Obviously, religion got in the way and put out the fire of the Spirit, but this is God's way, and it's so important that we recognize that the Father desires to pour out his spirit in a way that it's ever increasing, that it intensifies, and it's sustained in longevity, I believe, even until the return of Jesus Christ. So that we go from glory to glory. And, and as I was praying about this message, I really felt like the Lord said for Numa Church that this thing can go on for a long, 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 long time. If we learn how to steward, if we nurture this, if we do the right things, we're going to actually go from glory to glory, and we're starting to see that already. Guys, this is incredible. You know, it's like, come on now. Like, you take a step, right? You go up, you take another step, you go up, you take another step, you're ascending, you're ascending, and then the next thing you know, here's glory. Here's eternal glory. And you're right there, and it's like Jesus is saying, hey, it's time and then boom, you step, and you're in that glory. It's not like this, oh my gosh, put my sunglasses on, I can't handle that glory kind of transition. He wants us to move into that. He wants us to step into that. It's such a powerful thing. Listen, we have to cry out for the glory of the Lord. We have to do that. We talked about Moses on Thursday night in Ezekiel, I'm sorry, in Exodus 37. Remember this? Moses, God says, hey guys, we're not, I'm not gonna take you into the promised land. I'll send an angel, but I'm not going with you because if I did, I might wipe you out. And Moses is basically, no deal, God. Like, it's not enough to have the promise we need your presence. Unless your presence goes with us, don't send us up. And, and then the Lord, like, okay, I will give you what you've asked for. My presence will go with you. And he said, I will give you rest. And then Moses, so audacious, he cries out, show me your glory. Yeah. 
As I began to look at that passage last, yesterday, I think it was last night, the Lord showed me something that I never saw before. Actually, Moses asked God for two things. Yes, I don't mean the presence and glory. Yes, those things are connected. But he asked God this. He said, show me your ways and show me your glory. And I really felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, if you want to see revival sustained, if you want to see a revival that continues, the revival that just wouldn't stop, you've got to understand my ways. It's more than enough just to cry out. It's not just enough to cry out for my glory, but you've also got to cry out for my ways. Psalm 103 verse 7 says, The Lord made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. So the people of Israel saw his mighty acts, the miracles, the parting of the Red Sea, the plagues. But Moses knew his ways. The Hebrew word Derek literally speaks of a pathway, a way to travel on. And he's saying that Moses knew the way to go. He knew how to move forward. He knew what to do. He was clearly being led by the Holy Spirit, and he knew what he should do. Just like the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of their times, that they might know what to do. So God, show us your glory. But Lord, show us your ways. Like, guys, do you know that Paul and Jesus spoke a lot about offending and grieving the Holy Spirit? Right? Acts 7, 51, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 10, 29, they did despite unto the spirit of grace. In Ephesians chapter four, he says, grieve not the spirit. First Thessalonians 5, 9, do not quench the spirit or do not put out the spirit's fire. Guys, think about that. That we as human beings can put out the spirit's fire? I've seen it happen several times. We've been part of a few revivals. And we've seen it literally hit the news, go on the media. In America, if you have a few people healed and you meet for six nights in a row, they put everything on the media. <laughs> Revival's here. Let's see. And I'm like, guys, we've got to learn how to steward this thing. We've got to walk circumspectly. We have to understand the ways of the Lord. What attracts his presence? People say, oh, God's everywhere. Guys, come on now. That tangible presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God, where it's manifested tangibly. God wants to do that in an increasing way. So when you look at this story, Ezekiel, the prophet in the valley of dry bones, I believe inherent in this text is a prophetic pattern revealing the ways of God. 
I mean, come on, this is a great text to preach from, right? And the Lord said, son of man, can these bones live? Come on, you can preach this thing, I mean, till it sticks to the wall, right? I mean, but what we often miss here is that the Lord actually revealed to Ezekiel at least four life-altering critical principles or truths that we need to rediscover and apply today if we're going to experience all that he wants to do and see a revival like the, you know, the ever-ready bunny just keeps going and going and going. So important that we get this. And the more I walk with the Lord, the more sensitive I become and the more acutely aware I am of how I can grieve the Spirit. And, and I cry out to the Lord, and I was crying out to Him when we were worshiping, God, if your presence and glory doesn't show up tonight, if you don't reveal yourself, if Holy Spirit, if you aren't manifested tonight, it's all in vain. It's all in vain. Like, Jesus, we need you to be here. We can't fix any problems. We're not smart enough. We're not strong enough. We're not gifted enough. We're not rich enough to solve all the world's problems, but he can. And so we lean into him. We lean into that place of intimacy and surrender. We lean into that place where we say, Lord, teach me how to walk before you in a way that honors you. And literally attracts your glory and presence, sustains it. When we respond appropriately to God, guess what happens? We go from glory to glory and we experience a protracted move of God's spirit. A revival, as I said, that just won't stop all the way to the return of Jesus Christ. Now, do you know that Finney said this? He said... Where there's no revival, where there's no glory, the church becomes the laughing stock to the world. That's what he said. Those are strong words, aren't they? The church becomes a laughing stock. We are literally of no value to people in the world. And what I see here, and I'm just going to unpack this quickly, four things. Number one, when God shows up, when revival happens, and we see this after Ezekiel prophesies to the bones, we see this. There is a sense in which revival, first of all, is God revealing himself. God revealing himself himself. We say, wow, that was amazing. Worship was phenomenal. It was anointed. It was. You know, the preaching was great. I mean, man, the presence of God was at another level. But guys, it's all about him showing us himself, revealing who he is. Do you see me? Do you understand who I am? Everything that God has called us to do starts out of a place and posture of intimacy with him. You know, intimacy first, then identity, 
and then we live out our purpose, our destiny. Those who know their God, the Hebrew word yada means experientially. Those who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. There you go. There's intimacy, identity, and destiny right there. You live out your purpose in that order. We do what God has called us to do out of a place of intimacy. So God reveals himself. Oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. That word hear means hear, consider, contemplate, and obey. Obey what God tells you to do, but first make sure that you understand what he's saying. And then he says, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and you will come your flesh upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you and you shall live. And then listen to this. And you shall know that I am the Lord. He says it again in verse 14. You shall know that I am the Lord. Yada in Hebrew again. You will know experientially that I'm the Lord. This is about not just people being touched physically, This isn't just about people being set free, guys. But this ultimately points to a person. It points to Jesus Christ. There's signs that make you wonder. I mean, a sign points you in a direction. It points you to a destination. In this case, it's pointing to him. See how beautiful he is? Look at him. How wonderful he is. See, it's all about that. You will yada that I am the Lord. You will know personally and experientially who I am. Secondly, revival is about God restoring, or we could say repairing his church. It's about God restoring or God repairing his church. Now, look at this. Immediately after Ezekiel prophesies in verse 7, there is a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bones. Now, just think about this for a moment. As we said earlier, there are very many bones, and these bones are very dry. They were brittle. I'm sure many of them were broken, fractured, and so on. If God just simply caused those bones to come together in that present form, clearly it would not function as a skeleton that would be able to support and sustain the weight of a body. So there has to be a work of healing that takes place. And very interestingly, in Ephesians 4 verse 12, where he talks about how the church through the fivefold is to be equipped to do the work of ministry and build up the body of Christ. The word equipped is used often of talking about bones that are broken and fused back together and healed. So the idea here is that God in revival is doing a work in which that work is to bring healing and restoration to us. It's to do something deep within us, to set us free, to change us, to deal with things even from our past, the things we've gone through, what it, what, even as a result of the choices we've made, what other people have done to us, you know, family of origin issues, whatever it may be, there is a sense in which God is saying, 
in revival, I want to address this. I want to heal my people. I want to mend them of their misery so I can give them a ministry. So let God deal with the stuff. Come on. Let them deal with it. Guys, sometimes I've seen this happen where I, had, I remember one time we were in a revival, a sustained revival, and, and there was this one man, young guy, and he would come, and every time he'd come, he'd get angry. Everybody else is like beaming with joy, passed out <laughs> under the spirit, and he comes in and, and he's just angry. And I was like, well, you know, I get that. Some spirits don't like the presence of God. But the Lord said to me, no, it's deeper than that. This guy has deep-rooted issues in his life, stuff that even go back to his lack of being able to trust a father. And I began to speak to him. We, we caught up and had a coffee, and, and he began to share with me about how he hates his father and what his father did to him. And, and he blurted it out. He said, I can't worship God because I'm like, how can I worship and trust you when you say you're a father and look at what I've experienced? And to him, that was very real. For me, I'm like, come on, man. Like, let Jesus. And he was very real to him. Guys, the Lord wants to do stuff in your life. He wants to heal you. You might be coming here for weeks and being touched by the presence of God, and that's beautiful, and keep coming even if you're struggling, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. But let God deal with the stuff. Let him heal you. Let him set you free. Let him do a work in your life, no matter what it is that needs to take place. So God is restoring his church. He's, he's doing a work where he's healing us. Thirdly, revival is about God reforming his church. Reforming. When we talk about reformation, we're talking about reforming something. Now, here's what I want you to see in this passage here. There's a sound, behold, a rattling, and the bones come together bone to bone. So what's the purpose of the bones being healed? Well, obviously, so they could come together to form a skeleton or a structure. And so what we have to recognize, this is so important because as I traveled around and, and go to many places, you know, you go to churches, they go, well, we believe in the fivefold, and we have, we have implemented the fivefold in, in our church, in our ministry, and yet you don't see the purpose of the fivefold being fulfilled. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to what? Build up the body of Christ. Now, it talks about being conformed to the likeness of Jesus, the fullness of the stature, you know, being in that place of unity. I get that, you know, and becoming one man ultimately is what he says, that we become like one man, one body. 
And I want you to understand today that what God is doing in this present season is not just about, well, we have apostles, we have prophets. Guys, there's a purpose that each one of God's people would be activated, would be equipped, would be healed, would be raised up to walk in the fullness of the stature of Christ Jesus, but to do it in a place of unity as a body, as a body. You know, we focused on raising up great leaders, powerful ministries, extraordinary churches, but the Lord is taking us back to this New Testament pattern and structure, a reformation that reconfigures the church to its original design. Now, Ephesians 1.23, this is what the Amplified Bible says this. The church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, for in that body lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with himself. God wants to reveal himself to this world. And he does it through his body. In that body lives the fullness of him. Not in your ministry, not in my anointing, but in the body collectively as we come together. And we have lived long enough in, in a, in a, in a, with a paradigm, a mindset, even a function where we've so focused on just raising up people to know their gifts, to know their purpose, to know their calling. But guys, unless it's done together in a body, it's really not the New Testament way. And the quandary that we face as a, re- as a result of a theology which has been predicated on an exaggerated emphasis on individualism is that we have raised up body parts that are not part of the body. Wow. Wow. Come on. Imagine that. Son of man, can these bones live? Prophesy. He prophesies and the bones all come alive but they never come together. <laughs> That's what we have in many places. You know, someone sent us a message on Facebook. I won't say everything they said. They said, oh, we see that you, you are now connected to Numa Church. You're serving in a role in Numa Church. And yep. How could you do that? How could you walk away from your calling? How could you downgrade what God's called you to do. You're called to be a senior pastor. Oh, you have no idea. I'm like, I got delivered from that. And they literally, and I'm guys, I'm preaching for the past few years. Guys, we gotta become the body. Don't just do your own thing. Connect, be part of a body. Find your tribe, find your people. Connect with people that will love you, celebrate you, and you do the same to them. And then the Lord begins to speak to me, and he says, you need to be part of that. And Lynn and I, we're looking, we're looking, we're saying, oh, we want to be part of a family. And we walk in to a church, and we know the leaders and the pastors and massive mega churches in Dallas, Texas. And they say, hey, we're glad you're here. Sit in the front seat. And see you around next time. And we're like, guys, we want to be part of a family. We want to be part of a body. We need what you have, yes. But we need uh, one another's contribution as well. 
Guys, we need one another. No matter who, how great we are, we are not the body of Christ individually. I mean, have you ever met those people that are like so gifted, they can do anything? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that person's the body of Christ. <laughs> and then you find out, no, no, they're not. Guys, we must stop pitting one church against another, one person against another. Come on. We're not competitors. The devil is our competition. We're co-laborers. Guys, individualism, reticence to embrace fivefold ministry has created an incomplete representation of Christ. Many churches today are asymmetrical and unidimensional. We see this all the time. Churches that, that emphasize evangelism, for example. But they do not teach and disciple people in the deeper things of the Lord. Then we have other churches, prophetic churches. I love prophetic. I love evangelism. Prophetic churches that are constantly seeking the next word from God, but they have yet to fulfill the last words of Jesus, go into all the world and preach the gospel. I'm just meddling a little bit tonight. Sounded very American there, didn't I? Some churches masterfully disciple people Yet they never witness the supernatural manifestation of the Spirit with miracle signs and wonders that follow the apostle. There's a better way. There's a better way. I love Peter's uh, word in 1 Peter 4.10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The manifold means multifaceted, variegated grace of God. In other words, there are dimensions and aspects. There are layers. There, there are ways in which the graces come together. The early church, Acts 4.33, the apostles bore witness to the resurrection with great power. And then it says, and great grace was upon them all. Upon all of them. Great grace. In the Greek, it's mega grace. Mega grace was upon all of them. Grace numerically is great grace, mega grace. We need fivefold to have mega grace. So God is reforming his church. He's recalibrating us. He's reconfiguring us to the place where it's not about one man, one ministry, one leader, but it's about the fivefold that serves and equips to raise up the whole body of Christ. And that brings us to point number four. Revival is God releasing his church. Releasing his church. I remember when COVID started, I don't know if you guys saw these kind of posts, but one of the posts was, the church is outside of the building. And I went, dude, not at all. The church is locked out of the building. And, and people are like, I can't wait until, you know, we can go back to normal. And I get that. We want to meet together. We want to worship. There's something powerful. But the point I'm trying to make here is that we've been called to do more than fill a building with people. But we're called to fill a people with God so that they can go forth and see the earth filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord.
So Ezekiel prophesies, right? There's a sound, a rattling. Bones come together bone to bone. He looks, there's sinews and flesh and skin covers them. But verse 8, the latter part says this, but there was no breath in them. We got a problem here. There's no breath. There's no life. Ruach, pneuma. Have you ever heard that word pneuma? It's, like, it's a Greek word. There's no pneuma. And guess what happens? The Lord says, prophesy again. Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Now, I want you to note something here, please. They received revival. Revival means to live again, to breathe again. They received revival. And now they are alive. They're in revival. They're a revival church. And guess what happens? We see that they stood on their feet. And what do we have? An exceedingly great army. A revived church is alive. A revived church takes a stand. A revived church stands up. They don't sit down. A revived church becomes an exceedingly great army. God does not judge us. He is not impressed with our seating capacity. He is impressed with our sending capacity and with the maturity of the saints that are able to stand up and to stand for Jesus and to make a stand and to take a stand in the midst of a generation that is wayward and backwards and perverted. God says, stand up for the truth. Stand up and be a light. Stand up and make a difference. Stand up. Be my body. Make a stand. Take your place. 